Good morning. There you go. Thank you, Mr. Mazin. Thank you, Eli. Uh, we, hey, we can learn something from the Mazdens in our excitement, all right? I, I like it. I like it. Thank you. Um, so, hey, we're going to start our service a little bit different. This morning, we have two baptisms, right? Praise the Lord for two baptisms. That's exciting. Yeah. And then we have a testimony. Bill Bailey's going to share his testimony here in a little bit. But we're going to start our service with an Annie Armstrong um, video. So this is the month where we focus on the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Our goal is $7,500. To date, we've raised 3627 So this is a short video, about a minute long, about one of our missionaries and the work the Lord is doing. So check this out. Never in a million years did I think that I would be in a church planting role. But we arrived in Alaska early 2019 to take the helm at True North, to endure the darkness, to live in the cold. It's really challenging for churches to thrive here. I got a taste of that the first time that I met Russ Mabry. The last few years that we've had uh, declining population, we did not have the funds to bring a, a, a pastor up the blue of a call. The only viable option that I saw was, uh, was, was the potential of merger. Muldoon Road and True North were different really in every way, but we decided to become one church. We are a healthier, more mature, but also more agile, lively, and ready to go church than either of those previous churches could have been on their own. This is what passing the baton looks like. It looks like an older generation being willing to trust that the next generation of the church will carry the light of the gospel to the people who need it. So just another example of how the Lord is using our North American missionaries uh, to reach uh, people for Jesus Christ. Let's start with a word of prayer, and then we'll have a time of fellowship and of greeting one another. Father, we come into your house, and it's good to be in your house. Thank you, Father, that the weather has let up a little bit, um, Lord, so that we can gather. Thank you, Father, that the power is on. Um, I know we had some strong storms earlier in, in parts of the area. Um, Father, we know that Lord, some, some strong storms have come through parts of Mississippi in the last couple of days, and there's been loss of life in, in other parts. And so, God, we recognize, though we come joyfully, thankfully, humbly, Lord, we also recognize that there is so much brokenness and loss around us. Um, but we come because of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that we're going to see this morning through two baptisms, that we're going to hear through a testimony, that we're going to hear through the preaching of your word, that we have been declared right with you, God, not because of our righteousness, which is none in like filthy rags, but because of the righteousness of Christ. So we come this morning in freedom. We come with assurance that we have been made right with Jesus by faith and faith alone. So be glorified in all that we do and say. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you stand and take a moment and welcome those around you?
answers the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures of faith are never enough. Then you came along, put me back together.
opportunity and the privilege to uh, have two baptisms, a brother and a sister, and baptism is a picture. It's an outward picture of what Christ has done inwardly in us, causing us to die to our sins and to be raised to newness of life. And so they're coming to proclaim that, that they belong to Jesus, 
And now, through that, they also belong to this church family. Um, and so we get to rejoice and celebrate uh, with them um, in that. So, first up, come on down. This is Everett. All right, there we go. Step. You don't have to step up on that. There you go. There you go. Uh, so this is Everett. Everett, how old are you? Ten. Ten. All right, and so he's coming to follow the Lord in baptism. And I'm going to have the family do this twice because I want each of them to be able to see this. But if you're here, your family or your friends, and you're here to support their baptism, would you all just please stand for a moment? I know we, there we go. Just go ahead and stand up. There we go. Look at that, man. They're here to see you all. And then I know uh, you got family back here as well. All right, so I just have one question for you. Do you confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and Lord and Savior of your life? Yes. Yes. Awesome. Step back here for me then, brother. All right. Based upon that profession of faith, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. All right. And here comes the younger sister. There you, go. you can step up. There you go. And how old are you, Miss Vivian? Eight. Eight. So Vivian is eight. And so she too is coming to follow Jesus in baptism. All right, family, one more time. Friends, if you'll stand so she can see. I know. We just want them to be able to see. Look at that. Awesome. So they are here to support you uh, and encourage you. All right, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked your brother. Do you confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and Lord and Savior of your life? Yes. Yes, amen. All right, if you'll step down for me, we'll turn you this way. All right, based upon that profession of faith, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Praise the Lord. So you just saw a testimony of two kids who've given their life to Jesus and are going to follow him the rest of their life. Now you're going to hear a testimony of somebody who's given their life to the Lord Jesus and to hear how Jesus has changed his life. So Bill Bailey, if you'll come and share your story, brother. Now you hear me okay? Um, well, this is how it, how it happened for me, probably different than a younger person. Uh, my conversion came to different, but this is my story. Uh, I'm Bill Bailey, for a lot of those that don't, if some of you don't know me, I've been here uh, going on 12, going on, oh my goodness, I forgot, it was uh, 2006, I do believe, so y'all do the math. Um, this is the story of how I became a Christian. Well, I have to give you a little quick background. When I was a young child, I went to church a little bit, not a lot. I can't say I grew up in a Christian home. I can say my mom was a believer when, by her life. Uh, some of you may have a mom like that, loved unconditionally. That was my mom. Um, um, I grew up in a family with four older sisters, so I was the babies uh, and had somewhat of a big family, I guess, five children. Um, I had hardworking parents, both worked a lot outside the home. My parents were like most country families, which we were in the country, um, in Roanoke, Alabama, working hard and taking life just as it came. Uh, I didn't see much outward affection for God, just glimpses. I knew God was real, but 
that's about as far as it went. Uh, but when I was in the third grade, um, I was in the country, like I say, a loner myself, me and my bike, my best friends. Uh, but we moved to Fredonia, Alabama, which is uh, right north of Lynette, Alabama, across the line, um, closer to town, but still kind of away from town, a little community called Fredonia uh, near Lynette, Alabama. Living there, I became friends with this family of boys that went to a holiness church that I met from school. The boys went to school with us. Uh, the church was a few miles from the house, and the church picked us up. I say, that's me and my sister Jan, which was one year older than me, and others that wanted to go to church. They had the church bus, and just uh, looks like an old school bus. While at that church, I went to a camp retreat. I was 11 years old, uh, and with the church, and the preacher preached about something that got me really scared. Of course, I was very impressionable being a young child. And I wound up getting baptized in that church the next Sunday. None of it really made sense to me though. And you know, that was kind of strange. I never went back to that church after that. I don't really know why. But my life rocked home. I graduated from high school and barely. I grew up around a mess, no doubt about it. You know, a lot of bad things around me and I just slowly got involved in a bunch of bad stuff. I was left to myself. I was all about what I wanted to do because by the time my parents have raised four children and I was the last, I was pretty much just left to myself. So that's how I rolled. I was, got a job, uh, 16. Uh, Dad made sure uh, that I had a job, had a car, uh, my first one. I paid my bills and I deserved to have fun. I'm out of high school, so hey. But back while in high school, I picked up uh, a guitar from a neighborhood friend who gave me one that he didn't want to play. So I got involved in a little rock band, you know, the kind that uh, would lead a boy down a lot of rocky places with a lot of rowdy friends. Then that led me to the bars, nightlife, you know, just headlong into nowhere. Now I had a job and I always kept a job. I worked at Winn-Dixie where I met the love of my life, Jennifer. She knew the Lord. God, you ought to forgive me. Uh, I remember going through the experience back in camp, you know, the one where I got baptized. So I told the preacher that I was a Christian. Uh, I didn't know I was lying. Um, and so I, we were married. You know, I really thought that I was. Well, my wife and I had our first child, Glenn, and he's now 30, but I still had my nightlife. I was still playing in the bars, so I missed the first year of Glenn's life, working and staying out till late, late at night. Well, at time passed in my life, at some point in my life, I was working with a partner, uh, hanging wallpaper, he and I, worked mostly in the grains. There was where God started showing up in my life. My partner and I were hanging uh, wallpaper in a house in Roanoke, Alabama, and I was working in a certain room, and the people in the house had their radio going, and uh, it was on a local station, W-E-L-R, -E out of Roanoke, and the program was Point of View with Marlon Maddox, which is an older program. I don't know that it's even going, but they were talking about the book of Revelation, 
and they spoke of a dragon coming up out of the sea. And, you know, that scared me. I wondered what it was. I started paying attention. God was getting my attention. Jennifer went, uh, wanted me to go to church, but, you know, I was still in the bars. I didn't want to be a hypocrite going to, into the bars on Friday and Saturday to go to church on Sunday. I knew enough that that was not what I needed to do. Well, one night while I was singing in this bar, uh, just making people believe every word that I was singing, the Lord spoke to me, uh, not audibly, but plain as day in my spirit. He said, you're lying to these people. So with that, I told the man, the band that uh, I was, I was the lead singer and play guitar. I wasn't the best, but that's what I was doing. I told him, I said, you got six months, I'm out of here. And they said, you're not going to find your Mayberry. I said, I don't know what I'm finding, but I know God doesn't want me here. The devil came after me. Uh, so I knew, I guess I was doing the right thing. Something else happened. Uh, my last night that I played, my cousin was a drummer from Montgomery and, uh, you know, he was a very instrumental person in getting me involved in music, and I asked if he would come on my very last night to play. I'll never forget this night. My cousin was in Alcoholics Anonymous trying to clean his life up. We were sitting at the bar, and I ordered a certain drink, and the Lord said to me again, what are you doing? He said, I got, my, I got your cousin here, and he's trying to clean up his life, and you're a stumbling block. So at that very moment, I quit. Quit drinking, gone. So I was at 30 years old, and that's been 30 years ago. And then it happened. I was going from one job site to another in my own truck. We had kind of separated, just hitting different places. I stopped on the side of the road on a, on a road uh, ramp, uh, somewhere around the grain somewhere. Um, where did... Uh, where, where we did most of our working on, and I cried out to God. Uh, I said, God, take my life. It's messed up. I don't know what to do with it. So, take my life, do something with it. Uh, so, nothing's turning out right. I said that. My mama said, all I got to do is ask. So I did. So I drove on. Uh, not knowing what to expect. A couple weeks went by and uh, the strangest thing started happening. My wife asked me, are you fooling around with me? So she said, either you're fooling around or you got saved. I said, well, I don't know. I think I got saved. Because I know I'm not fooling around. <laughs> but I was very, very tempted. And praise the Lord, I never did. But Jesus said in my heart, I did. Well, I remembered the camping trip on which I got baptized when I was 11. And so uh, I was out of the bar, so we started going to church. I told the pastor that I'm rededicating my life. But after a couple weeks of the Bible being taught to me and speaking to me, God impressed on me that no son back there on that road, you had your birth.
So, I became a new man, and I had to look back since. My old me was left behind. I have been forgiven for my past and forevermore. I believe Jesus died for me, took my sins to the cross, put them to death forever. And when he took them there, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. And because he lives, he said, I can have life eternal in him through his power and obedience. I am passed from death to life in him. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. He can redeem, he can redeem you from a broken life if you'll only ask. Believe he can because the word of God says in the book of Hebrews, the just will live by faith. Thank you. Please pray with me. Lord, it is wonderful to be able to witness to a brother and a sister follow you. We pray that, Lord, you would help us to come alongside them, come alongside their family. Lord, bless us, Lord, here. Bless them, Lord. We thank you for our brother Bill, Lord, and how much, Lord, you have worked within him, how much of an encouragement and a blessing he is, Lord, and I pray that he knows that. But, Lord, I pray that you would bless us now as we sing this wonderful truth that, Lord, which, which is true. We are victorious in you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that we can sing that with a true heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, choir. All right, at this time, our children are going to make their way out to Children's Church. If everyone else will take their copy of God's Word and turn to Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> Romans chapter 3. We're going to take up the subject of justification um, in one sermon in about 25 to 30 minutes, so we certainly are not going to be able to cover it in great in depth but I want us to understand this glorious doctrine as we're considering salvation so Romans chapter 3 let me ask a question as we begin this is a very important question maybe one of the most important questions and that is this how can a person be right with God how can a person be right with God this is the question we see in Job chapter 9 verse 2 but how can a man be in the right before God. Everyone has tried or is trying to be right with God. So what can I do to ensure that I'm right with God? What, what can I do to earn God's favor? And so study the Old Testament. I read this just the other day. You see people offering up their children to a God in hopes of maybe appeasing an angry God. You think um, about Elijah against the prophets of Baal, and they begin right to cut themselves um, with a knife, hoping to wake up their gods. You read of people lying on a bed of nails because in suffering they think that they can earn God's favor or that God will accept them because they brought suffering upon themselves. When I was in Japan, you would visit a Buddha temple and you would see people every day washing hands, writing sin on the paper, offering wine up to a statue uh, in hopes that the Buddha, that their God would find favor upon them. Or you have those who are praying toward Mecca at certain times of the day. Or maybe it's attending mass, lighting candles, confessing your sins to the priest, or maybe 
you're getting baptized for the second or the third or the fourth time, thinking God must now be pleased with me. So how can one be right with God? This is the heart of justification. Justification is God declares our sins forgiven and he declares that we are now right with God. Hear me, we are justified. This was at the heart of the Reformation. We are justified by faith alone. It's not faith plus works. It's just Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus alone. Our faith. Putting it in Jesus. And so Romans chapter 3, we're going to read verses 21 through 26. And again, we could spend hours on these verses, but we're going to go through them quickly. So Romans chapter 3, if you would please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We could spend weeks just on these verses. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You may be seated. Three questions. Question number one, who needs to be justified? Who needs to be justified? Well, we start there in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, and we read these two wonderful words, two words that change everything, and the words are, but now, but now. Go back just a little bit further into chapter 3, verse 10. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And it continues to talk about all of us, right, in our sin and how we live our lives. Paul makes clear the argument in the first three chapters of Romans that we are all sinners, both Jews and Gentiles, all sinners, whether you have the law or you're not familiar with the law. We're all sinners and we are under the condemnation of God. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God. God is righteous, holy, no sin in him. Therefore, all that he does is completely righteous. So God is righteous. And Paul has just laid out for us that we are not. God is righteous, we are not. We have no righteousness of our own to bring to God, none at all. And yet, God's righteousness has been manifested. He says, apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. He's getting ready to say the righteousness of God has now been revealed in Jesus, but before he gets there, he says the righteousness is being revealed apart from the law. Now listen, the law... Right, the law that God had given to his people, the law that we see in the word of God, the law reveals the righteousness of God. So God's righteousness was revealed in the law, but also in the law, what we see is our sinfulness. We can't keep it. Anybody who thinks they're perfect, just take them to the law. Take them to the Ten Commandments. And if they say they've kept them perfectly, they're lying, and so they've just broken one of the commandments, right? No one is perfect. We're all sinful. 
God's righteousness is revealed in the, in the Old Testament, and you and I realize we can't measure up, we can't keep it. But then look what he says. The law and the prophets bear witness to it. The law and the prophets are bearing witness to the Christ, to the Messiah who is coming. And now Paul says, or, or we see, yeah, Paul says, Jesus, right, is the Christ, and the righteousness of God has been revealed in him. The Old Testament is pointing to it. The New Testament doesn't just make, cancel it out and say it was of no use. No, Jesus is fulfilling it. The righteousness of God revealed in the Old Testament, now revealed in Christ. And that's what he says, verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. Now look at verse 23. For all, say that word with me, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen, everyone needs salvation because we have all sinned. We are all sinners. The law shows us that. We see our inability to keep it. We are all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We have all fallen short of the very reason and purpose for which God created us. We're all sinners. Some of you have been to the Grand Canyon. I've not. Maybe one day I will. From the south rim to the north rim, they say it's about 20 miles as the bird flies. Now imagine this would be a very tragic thing to do, but imagine we all took a field trip out to the Grand Canyon and we said, okay, here's the, here's the goal, here's the mark. We are going to jump from the south rim to the north rim, one by one. Some of you, because you're athletic, you may make it 15 feet and then you will plummet. Some of you will make it eight feet. Some of you will barely make it a foot. Here's the point, though. It doesn't matter how far you jump. All of us fall short of the mark, and therefore we perish. It doesn't matter how many commandments you have or have not kept. The point is, if you break one, you're guilty of breaking them all. You have all fallen short. So where's the works? Where's the righteousness that we can point to in our own life? See, here's what Paul says. For there is no distinction. In other words, we're all in the same boat. The reality this morning is everyone here has sinned against a holy God, and thus you are under his condemnation. Now please hear me. God is righteous, which means he is righteous in all he does. Please hear me. Which means God is just, and he is right in all that he does, which means he is right to condemn every sinner to hell for all eternity separated from him. That is not unjust. That is not unfair. He doesn't do unjust or unfair things. He is right. We've all broken it, therefore we but God. Right? But now, hear me, you deserve hell and nothing more. And left to your own devices, left to my own devices, hell is exactly what we will get. So how can a man be right? We don't always do the right thing. So who needs to be justified? Every single person in this room, every person watching online, every person who lives in every country needs to be justified, needs to be right with God. Second question, what does it mean to be justified? If we need to be justified, then we need to understand what that word means. So go back to verse 22. 
We read the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. That word justified is a Greek word, dikaio. It means to cause someone, to cause someone, so they're not causing themselves to be this, but somebody else is causing them to be in a proper or right relationship with someone else. This is a legal term. This is a judicial term. Justification is a pronouncement made by God. In justification, God declares us to be righteous. Justification is about a declaration and again we could go on and on about this but i just want to take you to a couple scriptures to see this justification is a declaration so go to romans chapter 8 verse 1 we're just going to stick right here in the book of romans romans chapter 8 verse 1 look what he says he spent seven chapters right talking about how all of us fail to measure up we are all sinners and then chapter 8 verse 1 says there is therefore now no condemnation there was condemnation but now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus now drop down same chapter drop down to verse 33 who is to condemn who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. There's no condemnation, and then Paul says, guilty. You go to the court of law, the evidence is against you, it's presented, and the judge says, guilty. You're condemned. You're sentenced to this sentence. You're guilty. The opposite of guilty, condemnation, is justification. It's not guilty. You hear the verdict, not guilty. You're innocent. Now, why is this important? So go back to the Old Testament with me. Go back to Deuteronomy 25. Deuteronomy 25. Because we've established God is righteous, God is holy, and you're not. So how can someone who is unholy, not right with God, now be right with a holy God? Well, Deuteronomy 25 verse 1 Deuteronomy 25 verse 1 if there is a dispute between men and they come into court and the judges decide between them so this is a court of a law you got a judge acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty you see it if you are innocent a just judge would say you're acquitted you are innocent if you're guilty a just judge would condemn you. The evidence is here. You committed the crime. You are guilty, guilty, guilty. That's what a just judge is supposed to do. Now go to Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17. And in this, you will see the dilemma. Proverbs 17, verse 15. Proverbs 17, 15. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord it is an abomination for a judge to justify the wicked so to declare the wicked hey you're not guilty 
or to condemn the person who is righteous and who has not done anything wrong. That is unjust. Hear me. You and I are guilty. We are without the righteousness necessary to stand before a holy and just God. And yet Paul says in Romans chapter 3, though we all fall short and have sinned, we are justified. How can a just, holy, righteous God declare me a wretched sinner to be not guilty? That's unjust. You're watching the court of law, right? And you're watching this trial and it's clear all the evidence is there. This person's guilty and the judge stands up and says, listen, I know you're guilty. It's clear, but I'm going to let you off the hook. No, that's not right. It's unjust. So how can God, holy as he is, allow me into his presence? This is justification. This is at the heart of it. In theologians, we use a word called imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. That word imputed means something now belongs to you. It's as if it's yours. And so we see this a couple times in the scripture. We see it one negatively in Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. I don't like these verses, but they're true nevertheless. Romans 5, 18 says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. I like the second part of that verse. I don't like the first part. Verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So here's the deal. Adam, the first man, sins against God. You say, well, that's a shame for him. That's on him. But here's what God's word says. Adam's sin is imputed to you and to your children and to your grandchildren. It's as if they had committed that sin. Adam is guilty, and because you are in Adam's line of Adam, you are guilty. Nothing you can do about it. You are born a sinner. You're going to sin. That's who you are in your sin nature because Adam's sin belongs to you. But we also see it in that our sin is imputed to Christ. So our sin belongs to Jesus. Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Listen to this. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Just a couple of weeks, we're going we're gonna to celebrate Good Friday. And what is so good about Jesus' death upon the cross? What makes Jesus' death upon the cross so good is that as he's dying, he who knew no sin, he who is declared by his Father not guilty, takes every one of my sins and bears them upon him. As if he had committed all of them when he had committed none of them. My sins can be forgiven because Jesus died in my place for my sins. So my sins are given to Jesus. That's just one part of justification. Where Jesus says, I've taken your sins. I've forgiven you. That's wonderful, Jesus. My sins are forgiven. But what about the rest of my unrighteousness? 
Well, there's another part to this imputed righteousness, and that is not only do my sins belong to Jesus, but hear me, Jesus' righteousness now becomes my righteousness. Jesus' righteousness, who can stand before the Father because he kept every law, every one of them, knew no sin, had never sinned. His righteousness that allows him to stand before the Father is now given to me. That's what 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you tell me, when you stand before God, and you will, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, whose righteousness do you want to stand in? Yours? Look, you might be the best person to ever walk on this planet. But man, put all your sins before you, and there are still many of them. You're going to stand there before a holy, just, righteous God and say, look at me, Jesus. Look at all that I've, look at all that I've done. Because he could easily say, yeah, but look at all the wrong that you did. Or are you going to stand before Jesus saying, Jesus, I'm not here because of my righteousness. I'm here because of your righteousness. Your righteousness belongs to me. So that when you see me, you've declared me not guilty, sins forgiven, but you also declare me to be righteous. That's why Paul can say, He's just and the justifier. He's just, he's holy, and he's the justifier because he took the punishment for my sin. It's not that your sin is just forgiven and forgotten and nobody's punished for it. No, Jesus takes the punishment that you and I deserve. Therefore, his righteousness is given to us. So how can one be made right with God? It is only through the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross, which leads to the third question, how is one justified? How is one made right with God? Well, look what Paul says. And are justified by his grace as a gift. It is grace. It is undeserved favor. You don't deserve God's salvation. Justification is not earned. I've earned this. No, you can't make yourself right with God. You can't offer up enough sacrifices. You can't attend mass or church or to be baptized enough to say, I've warranted God your favor. Galatians 2.16 is clear. Yet we know that a person is not justified. They're not made right with God by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the difference. Works say, I do it. I do it. It's on me. I can make myself right with God. Faith says, God does it, and I believe it. God has done it in Jesus, and I'm just taking hold of it. Jesus is the object of my faith. He alone can make me right with God. It's a gift, and it's freely given. Freely given through what? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Jesus bore the wrath of God so that he could redeem a people from their sins now hear me redemption and justification doesn't cost you anything but it cost god his very son to redeem you and to justify you before him first peter chapter 1 18 and 19 says knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as silver or gold but with the precious blood of christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot god's redemption of us god's declaring aaron hornsby to be right with him by grace as a gift that he freely gave me 
ought to lead to a couple things. And again, we could talk about many things here. We're going to talk about sanctification next week. And now that God has set us apart, we are to become more and more like Jesus. Listen, justification isn't about God making us right. Justification is him declaring us right. And what he declares to be right, who can declare unright? Now, sanctification is the process where we become more like Jesus. We're talking about justification. He declares you right. And if he declares us right, it ought to lead to, let me just emphasize two things this morning. Number one, it ought to lead to freedom. It ought to lead to freedom. This morning, if you have given your life to Jesus, you have put your faith in him, you are free. Free from the penalty of sin. Jesus bore the penalty. You are free from condemnation. Jesus bore the wrath. You are free, hear me, from constantly wondering, have I done enough? Have I done enough to please God? Have I done enough to earn his favor? It frees you from having to ask the question, can God possibly forgive me of this sin? It frees you from having to ask the question, will God change his mind? Will he decide, you know what, Aaron, never mind. I'm not going to justify you. I'm going to send you to hell. Justification frees you from those thoughts because God has done it in his son Jesus. And it is secure. On the way to church this morning, I was listening to uh, a couple new songs from Shane and Shane on their newest album. And uh, first song I was listening to was like, man, that goes right along with the message. Listen to these words. I lay down my garments any empty boast good works now all corrupted by the sinful host dressed in my lord jesus a crimson robe made white no more fear of judgment his righteousness is mine the chorus says it is done it is finished no more debt i owe paid in full all sufficient merit now my own how can you know that you know that you know that when you stand before God, you will spend an eternity with him. It's not because of your works. It's not because of your self-righteousness. It is because of Jesus. And if you put your faith in Jesus, then you have that. And you are free to walk in that justification. But the second thing is this. This morning you are accepted. You're accepted you're accepted by God because of Jesus. You are right with God because of Jesus. There is nothing you can do to earn this. Therefore, there is nothing you can do to lose it. So walk in the joy of your salvation. Walk in the peace that Jesus brings. Walk in the truth. Walk in the hope. Started listening to the second Shane and Shane song. And I'm like, man, this goes along with this message. Listen to this. This song is called You've Already Won. There's mercy in the waiting manna for today. And when it's gone, I know you're not. You are my hope and stay. When the sea is raging, your spirit is my help. He'll fix my eyes on Jesus Christ, and I'll say that all is well. And the chorus says, I'm fighting a battle that you've already won. No matter what comes my way, I will overcome. Don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. I'm fighting a battle that you've already won and the bridge says this i know how the story ends we will be with you again you're my savior my defense no more fear in life or death i know how this story ends y'all it's been a hard this isn't in my notes this is completely unscripted 
It's been a hard week. It's been a hard couple weeks. We've got two ladies in this church who have lost their husbands. We have a family in this church who's been here, joined one month, one month exactly to the day when their husband and when their father died. And yesterday, going to that funeral was hard to see the grief and the pain. But in the midst of it, in the midst of that brokenness, in the midst of that tragedy that no person should have to walk through, this was not God's design. That is a result of sin. It's a result of the fall that we die and that we, have to, that we have to bury people. But in the midst of that, there is still hope. Cling to the hope. Cling to the assurance that we have in Jesus. Because it is only in Jesus that we can stand. It's only in Jesus that we can go through the hardest things of life because we know the battle has already been won. And that Jesus will fight that battle. And let me close this way. Give me just another minute or two. So last week I talked about the chair, right? And I talked about how if you weren't here, right, you can, when you think about salvation, like, you know, you learn this as a chair. You can even say, I believe this chair will hold me up. But faith is actually sitting in the chair. So I sat in the chair. And we talked about how you can know Jesus. Hey, I've learned Jesus died for me. You can even say, hey, I believe that Jesus died for me. But until you put your faith in Jesus, you're not saved. You have to put your faith, your belief in Jesus. Wayne Jenkins was here last week, and he said, you started that illustration, and I thought, man, you've seen me do this before. He said, but then you left a part out, a part I'd never seen before, but when he shared me, I was like, well, I can tie that into justification next week, so give me just a minute. So you're sitting in the chair, right? You have put your faith in Jesus. Now, you're sitting in the chair, and for most of you, as you're sitting in that chair, your feet are still on the ground. Most of your weight's in the chair, but if you're leaning forward, a lot more of your weight is now in your feet. So everybody's sitting down for this, right? Take your feet and pick them up. Gravity is pulling you down. And the only thing holding you up is this chair. For some of us, if we're honest, our hope's in Jesus. But we're still resting a little bit on ourselves. Maybe it's subconsciously. Jesus, I believe in you, but man, sometimes I just wonder if I've done enough. Sometimes I've just wondered if I've been good enough. Sometimes it's just you put it in you. So hear me. The only way to be saved is for you to put all of your faith and all of your trust in Jesus and none of it in yourself. That is being declared right with God by faith. It is not faith plus works. It is faith alone. And that faith that saves is then going to be seen in a life lived for Jesus. That, that faith is going to work itself out, but you're not saved by works. You are saved by Jesus alone. And hear me, when you walk through that valley, and many of you in this room have, when you walk through that valley, in that moment, you don't want to put any confidence in yourself because you know you're not able, but you know God is. And when you stand before Jesus on Judgment Day, when you stand before the Father, you don't want to stand there alone. You want Jesus to be there with you to say, hey, my righteousness has been given to him. He's saved. He's mine. I took his sin, and my righteousness now belongs to him. That's how we're saved. And man, that frees us to live for Jesus. Father, speak to our hearts. 
God, draw near to us. There are some in this room this morning who are brokenhearted, and they just need the comfort and the peace and the presence, Jesus, that only you can bring. We need to be reminded how great you are, Lord. We need to sing your praises because we need to be reminded of your goodness. Father, there are some struggling with their salvation, wondering, am I saved? Had that conversation with somebody earlier in the week in in light of last week's sermon. How do I know that my faith is real? How do I know that God really is going to save me? Sometimes, God, what we do is we put our hope in a decision that we made years ago. And that decision absolutely matters. But God, we keep putting our faith in you every single day. And that's how we know that what we did years ago is real. That you saved us and forgave us and you justified us the moment we cried out, Jesus, we confess and we believe. It's because we are living our life. There's fruit, there's evidence that we have given our life to Jesus. And Father, maybe some are questioning, am I saved? Maybe somebody right now is realizing they are not saved. They have no hope before you, God. Realizing for the first time their sinfulness, their wretchedness, their wickedness. So Jesus, where will they run? Will they run from you? Or will they hear you say, come to me, come. Jesus, if they come, you will save. Draw them near, we pray, oh God. Comfort our church family. Comfort those in our family who are going through difficult, difficult times. God, may you be their grace. May you be the all-sufficient one who holds them up because they know they are right with you and that you will always do what is right and good. We trust in you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? We're going we're gonna to end our service with a, a song. So let's worship the Lord together.
mountaintop and he is great in the valley great is our lord just a, a couple of quick announcements if you'll just remain standing our senior friends have a luncheon on thursday we need you to sign up for that so they can be prepared and this wednesday is our monthly k through fifth grade uh, discipleship night so kindergarten through fifth grade whether you come to praise makers or not we want you to be here they meet in the fellowship hall um and it's a great time these last couple of times just seeing them pouring over the word of God and just hearing God's truth poured over them. Let me just say one more thing before we end with the word of prayer. Tomorrow is Pastor Gary's birthday. I think the Lord did this to make it easier on me, though. It is also his one-year anniversary at Northside on the same day. So we're, we're thankful for you, brother, and I know you've been thrown into the fire here in these last couple of weeks, and um, I've seen his love for these students and his love uh, for this church family, and uh, so we're thankful for him. All right, our deacon of the week is Mr. Ryan McMichael. If you'll come, uh, close us with the word of prayer. We have all our normal evening activities um, tonight, so please come for that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us this time to gather together in your house, Lord. Lord, thank you for your goodness and grace to us. Thank you that it wasn't because we loved you, but that you loved us, that you gave yourself to be the payment for our sins, Lord. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, thank you for the assurance of our salvation. 
Lord, work in each of our lives that if we are Christians, that we would truly be putting our full faith in you, that we would pick our feet up, that we wouldn't be leaning on our own understanding, our own uh, merits, but that we would be trusting wholly in you. And if there's anyone who hasn't come to know you, Lord, Lord, work in their hearts that they would see this justification, the Lord, that they would be made right in your eyes, Lord, because of your grace, Lord. Lord, work in each of us that we would be drawing near to you, and as a result, you drawing near to us, Lord. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.